0: great? What makes music great? Is it the words, the music itself, the solo, the fantastic killer solo? Is it the drum riff, the beat, the bass that gets you? Is there a moment in the melodies that goes up this incredible arpeggio and it gets under your skin? Is it the emotion, expression, the arrangement? Is it something or everything? What is it in a song that makes it so good? The other week, I talked about the dopamine rush and the magic of music and what it does to the brain and how it affects all these different parts of your brain and the importance of music in our memories in our emotions, how we connect through it, etc., etc. And at the time, I was talking about these studies that are so fascinating to me about all that stuff and how I didn't think I even touched the the tiniest bit of this conversation. And the other day, I was thinking, I want to talk about something else besides Queen, but I don't... What do I do? I have this huge list of ideas, and a lot of them are about emotional well-being, social media, being kind to yourself, being kind to each other, and more. But I didn't want to do that. I, I wasn't feeling that. I wanted to talk about something else. And all of a sudden, I was just thinking, what makes music so good? What is it about a song? And in thinking about that, I want to go into music structure and music theory, which is so important. You may not think about it, but there's a lot of math behind music. Intervals, circle of fifths. When you start to study this and you look at a piano, just look at something visually where you can see the notes. You start to understand there is a science. There is a mathematical calculation behind all of this, which is really funny because I love music, but I kind of hate math. I, I appreciate Math. I'm fascinated by math and the way science and math go together to create this world we live in. But on another level, I kind of hate math. (laughs) I hate it because I don't understand it past a certain point and it goes way over my head. I never got past trigonometry. And honestly, I kind of hated that too. (laughs) So I did a semester of that and I was out of there. But math is a very big thing in the world of music. Every single scale consists of seven different notes. Of course, the tonic, the top and the bottom octaves are the same note. Technically, if you count both, you have eight notes in a scale. And between those two tonics, you have six, six other notes. And it's amazing to think that every single scale is made up of those notes. That's it. Yeah, you can have different chords in scales and in songs, but everything is centered around the scale. And when you change those notes, when you change them to different intervals, when you flat or sharp a note, it changes everything. It changes the feel. There's a reason why certain chords are given names from characters in films and more because those chords elicit an emotional response like characters do in films or scenes do in films, right? There are moments in songs where there's a key change, where it modulates and it becomes this entirely emotional experience. It makes us cry. It makes us feel the goosebumps, right? That dopamine rush, the serotonin, all of that is thanks to these shifts, these transitions in chords. And major and minor is the other key here. It's the other facet to building these chords. Major is happy. Minor is sad or dark, if you will. Minor always sounds like there's tension. Major chords, major keys feel happy and open and hopeful. But minor feels very claustrophobic and dark and uncertain. So when you have a song that's in a major key or a minor key, there's usually a reason for that. Maybe to you as the listener, it's not a very conscious, obvious thing, but it's almost guaranteed that the composer did that for a reason even if the reason they did it felt subconscious and innate at the time. There's definitely an emotional driver behind the way we create music. I love studying chords and the way that they change in emotion when you add or take away or shift the intervals. I love sixth chords. Let's talk about that a little bit. A basic triad chord is the first, the third, and the fifth note. that is a major triad when you add a sixth it goes and i love that i love ending a song in a sixth chord like that because it adds that extra facet it adds that little expanded element that is totally unexpected in a resolved chord Maybe it's not even a resolved chord, (laughs) but I love stuff like that. I love it when we have notes that are very atypical and non-conventional in a song. Accidentals, big shifts in the intervals like that. I'm a huge fan of that. It's just one of the reasons I love Queen so much. It's just one of the reasons I love the complexity behind so many Queen songs. And there are other artists that do this, and some of them are so fantastic at it. Some of them are so great at infusing that into top 40 style songs. And let's talk about top 40 style songs for a second. I'm not really a fan of the top 40 artists, generally speaking. For a lot of my life, I have been opposed to mainstream popular music. In its time, oddly enough, when I reflect back, in hindsight, I'll tell you, yeah, I love rocking out to Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys, and I love listening to that music. But in its heyday, I'm very opposed to it. I can't explain it. I think it's just my subconscious want to distance myself from trends, which I've done my entire life. But the truth is, there is something magical behind those songs. Max Martin the mastermind of songwriting behind so many of Britney Spears' Backstreet Boys' work, that man has seen so much success because he nailed the delivery of a song. He nailed these arrangements in such a way that they became this popular phenomenon and were deemed great by some. Anyway, maybe I should be specific about that. There have always been people super critical of that style of music. But when you think about its appeal and how it bonded people together, I can't think of a lot of better songs than those songs that you could kick back in your car and rock out with your friends with. That's why they were so tremendously popular. And that's why those kinds of songs endure even now. And that's what makes this so fascinating, this question. When I ask you what makes a song great, you're probably thinking, oh, well, I love that because the lyrics are awesome. I love that because that that music right there is so good. You know, any one of you could come to me and say, well, this is what makes a song great to me. This is what I love about it. But as we get into this and we discuss it, there are scientifically proven formulas that do work, at least on the top 40 level. These artists see such success because we respond to patterns. We know that if a song has verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, it's going to be something that we can memorize, we can get into, we can relate to it. Those songs are fun. Those songs have a predictability that is very, it's very attractive to the ear. And it's not just the arrangements. It's not just that song sandwich, if you will. It is the chords. It's the movement. It's the way the lyrics shift from phrase to phrase. There's a certain squareness about those songs, a predictability that, again, is very attractive, very welcome to the ear. And the notes play a part in that. There are frequencies. There are note ranges that resonate beautifully in our ears. Just as there are notes that are most, they're the most annoying thing on the planet, when you hear a certain frequency range, it literally kind of makes you go, ah, there's a whole science behind this. There's a whole science behind song structure. I have books that talk about how to mix a song whether it's a jazz song, a pop song, a rock song, whatever it is, an electronic song, they give you visual examples of where to place the sounds. I'll bet you guys didn't think about that when you're hearing a song, how the bass is kind of in the center and out in front, how some of the symbols might be off to the right or to the left or to the kind of towards the top of the left. There's a placement to every single sound. It's very specific and it's very intentional. So when you see these books that talk to you about where to put the sounds, they give you a box, which is essentially the sound space, which is the room. And every single sound is a bubble. And they show you visually where those bubbles go and how big they are. Do they take up the expanse of the whole box? Do they take up a tiny corner of the box? How isolated are they from the rest? Is there any kind of an overlap? Are there frequencies in the bass and in the kick that overlap just enough so they're distinctive from one another, but there's, there's a compatibility there? So there's all these scientific strategy kind of little visual things that you have to think about when you're working on a song. And that is just another reason that a song might be great. It's incredibly well-produced. And I'm not talking about something that's compressed to death. Let's talk about compression. Compressing a sound is squeezing it so it doesn't get quieter or louder than a certain point. And when you do that to a song as a whole, it takes out all the dynamics. If there is an album that's come out recently, recently, that is, I would say, has very fantastic, very fantastic, has fantastic dynamic integrity, it would be Angel Olsen's All Mirrors. If you haven't listened to that album, I urge you to do so. It's beautiful. It's timeless. Every time I listen to it, I discover something new. And I love that it goes from super soft and unassuming to this unabashed, expressive, loud, sweeping thing from one phrase to the next. It is one of the most beautifully done, honestly produced things I've heard in a long time. I really appreciate the rawness of the sound there because it's not overproduced. It's not compressed. It's not something that, yeah, you're probably not really gonna hear it on the radio. And by the way, radio compresses things too. I don't know if you guys have noticed, if you listen to a song you love, When you stream it versus on the radio, it sounds different. The volume when a song is on the radio is so compressed that even the quietest moments are blaring in your ear. It's just a thing. But yeah, over-compression is a thing, just like the loudness wars. Everybody wants their music to be super loud, so when you play it, you only have to turn the volume up to 10 instead of 20. But it's kind of the same thing. You start to lose those nuances that are so important to the emotion of a song that make it so great. I could talk about pitch correction and autotune for hours and how I think it has stripped out so much of the emotional honesty and the humanity in a voice. Pitch correction is everywhere. And you may not realize it. You may not hear it. But I've worked with it. I've used it, yeah. It's actually kind of fun to dial it up to 11. Just like Cher did and created the auto tune effect in Believe. But it's not something that I like to regularly practice because when you use pitch correction, it's not just about pitch. Every little scratch, tiny inflection of the voice that is uniquely yours gets wiped out. It's just the way the programming works, but it's a really lousy side effect of that process. And it's used everywhere, all the time now. It's almost universal now to put someone's voice through pitch correction. Even if it's chosen pitch correction, even if it's spotty pitch correction, maybe it's not a blanketed setting, but people are still going in and fixing notes. Oh, that's just a little bit flat. Let's, what they literally do is go in and visually, they visually move it they can see where the note is on the pitch line and they will, visual, they will just tweak it just enough so it still sounds authentic, but it, maybe it's not quite so off the pitch. There are people who do not need this. And you know what? Honestly, let's talk about being on pitch. Even the best singers in the world have a moment. I have heard people who, oh my gosh, you guys, they're so good. They have such fantastic performance performance. Skills, their pitch is so good. But there is going to come a time, whether it's in the studio or live, where there's something that comes out that's just not, it's not quite there. It's very rare to hear a performer that's constantly 100% all the time. We're human beings, it's almost impossible. So I'm kind of sad that people who really don't, they don't need pitch correction. Lady Gaga, Kelly Clarkson. I mean, Yeah, those ladies have put out work fairly recently where they were very open about the fact that there was no pitch correction. I applaud that. I love it. But then, of course, you go back to the norm and these artists that don't even need this, they don't need it. They're getting put through it because that is the way the production string goes. Super sad. And pitch correction has been around to some extent for a very long time. It's just a lot easier to do it now (laughs) than it used to be back then. But I could go on and on about that. I don't know why I went there. I guess one of the reasons I went there is because when I hear something that to my ear is obviously pitch corrected and I can tell, I can tell when something's been tweaked, I get kind of sad about it. When it's obvious I'm really sad, especially if the production as a whole is otherwise very, very good. But again, this is something that has become the norm. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mourn the loss of the humanity in the performance. That's what, that's what gets me. There are elements that are smoothed out as a side effect of fixing the pitch. That's just what happens in the programming. So I love it when an artist or a band will come out and say, this is entirely raw. I love that. I dig it. To me, that is an element that makes a song great. That is an element that makes music great. I'm all about the whole thing. I'm not about the lyrics or even just the music. I would say the music for me is a big factor. I can listen to a song that doesn't have any words and be so moved by it. Every once in a while, there is a lyric that hits me and I love it and I latch on to it. I'll make the speed of light out of this place. I love that. It's from Roger Taylor's Tenement Funster in Queen. I love that lyric. Won't need bright lights. No, no, we won't. Gonna make our own lightning. Neil Diamond, Cherry Cherry. I love that lyric. It's clever. It's fun. It's kind of sexy. I love it. I love that stuff. I love it when you can take a lyric that speaks for itself. It needs no more context, or maybe it's even better without the context. And it just sounds great. I love that. Bjork has a ton of lyrics like that. Her entire album, Homogenic, is this masterpiece. I wrote an entire blog. An entire thing about that album, how it was one of my favorites ever. Everything about it, from the production, her performance, the sounds, the volcanic landscape sounds as she described them, the way she visually treated the album art. You guys, let's talk about the artistic expression of artists and bands because this is so important. I was getting there when I was talking about artists like Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys. There is grooming that goes on here. I'm not saying they're not talented. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is definitely a vibe. There is definitely a marketing strategy behind all of these artists that makes it work. There are so many people out there who are incredibly talented and never see the light of day simply because they don't have that team behind them. And by and large, a lot of people these days self-manage because the entire music industry is upside down. The music business is and always has been a business, which is why so many artists are taken advantage of when they are legitimately talented. If an entity comes along and says, I want to sign you, the red flag should go up and you need to ask the questions, why? You shouldn't be afraid to push back and say, well, I would like to retain some artistic integrity here. I'm all about that. You should do your thing. If you want some help there, by all means, because they will help you. They will put you in the best light they possibly can because they do market research behind all this. But if you are one of those artists like Bjork, Katy Perry's kind of like this too. She's always had a vision for what she wants to do. She's always, ha- she's always had that idea behind her music videos. What does she want to present? How does she want to look? It's very important to consider all this. If you are that artist, you need to hold on to that. That's another thing I love. That's another thing for me that makes songs, music great. I want to go back to Bjork's album, Homogenic. That album, look at the cover art. Just look it up. It is one of the scariest, freakiest, coolest things I've ever seen. And she looks gorgeous, right? It's exaggerated. She looks cold, frozen, stark, glittering. There's something very threatening and alien about it. And that's why it works. Oh my gosh, the attitude, the atmosphere in that image is striking. And it's perfect, It's just like her music videos. This woman has a vision and she doesn't compromise it. I love that. And it makes me love the music all the more. And even though the visuals are that important, I will listen to a song before I watch the video anytime I get the chance because I don't want to be influenced by that imagery. I am still all about the music more than anything. A great visual is fantastic, yeah. I mentioned Lady Gaga. Her music video for Bad Romance, I must have watched that thing 10 times in a row when I first saw it. It was weird. It was over the top, dramatic, kind of spooky, kind of freaked me out, but I loved it. That is a great example of a video as crazy and controversial as it might be. It fits the music. It fits the sound. She's another great artist that is fantastic at tying everything together. Whether you love it or hate it, you got to give her props for that artistry. And that brings me back to the music and the love for it. So even though there are all these formulas for what works, why people do things a certain way, why image matters, why music production and mastering and mixing have to be done a certain way... I love it when people go outside that box. Bohemian Rhapsody. It should never have been what it is. It should never have been this massive success. The guys even knew it was going to bomb or it was going to go crazy. There was no in between here. I think the Spice Girls said the same thing about Wannabe. They knew it was going to be huge or it was going to flop. And luckily, both those songs were massively successful, but they kind of went against the grain in very different ways. Bohemian Rhapsody is this elaborate rock opera thing that has, yes, repeated motifs. There are elements of melodies, lyrics that echo each other throughout the song, but so much of it is going in different directions that you don't anticipate. And because of that, because it's so outside the box, and so outside the lines, that's where the attention comes. What is this fabulous, weird thing? It was so over the top. You had to listen to it. And it was impressive, whether you loved it or hated it. Wannabes kind of the same way in a totally different style. People recognize it. You know what it is. It jams these styles, these melodies together that don't really go, but they do. I love that. I love it when an artist does that. I have been told certain things about music production and what you should do. Well, if you're mixing a song, the ambience should be the same on every single instrument to create a cohesiveness, a consistency, right? That's what I'm always told. That's what I always read. But you know what? Oh, when I'm working on stuff, baby, you better believe it. I'm putting tons of reverb on this synth and almost none on the other. I've got vocals that circle around in this spiral that sonically, it makes no sense. There is a measuring thing in logic, and I can't remember what it's called, but it measures the balance of the sound. And sometimes in my songs, the sounds go off that measurement. In other words, the program is telling me what you're doing is not sonically attractive. <laughs> Literally, that's that's what this measurement is telling me as I go through my songs sometimes. And you know what I think? That's awesome. That's great. I want to challenge the listener and I love when an artist does that to to me. I love it. I love it when an artist can say, "Oh, wow, we're going to this is not no We are not sticking with the status quo. Radiohead. Now, one thing about Radiohead, they know how to mix a song. Oh boy, do they know how to mix a song. But it's their arrangements, the complexities, the structure of the scales they use, the delivery that Tom gives us almost universally through every song The pure emotion, the fact that you can barely understand what the man is saying half the time, all of those elements are what make them and their songs so good to me. That may not be your thing at all. You may say, oh, well, I can't understand a word this guy is saying. I'm out. I'm done. But it's the emotion I would say it's almost always about the emotion a song elicits. That's, to me, what makes a song great. Is it different for you? What is it for you? What is it you love? Are you impressed by people who think outside the box and color outside those sonic lines? Or do you like songs that are predictable? That's not a bad thing. I just told you guys, I love a good song that is in a simple song sandwich structure. There are moments where that is where it's at. But I also love a song that takes us on a journey with so many twists and turns that you cannot possibly predict where it's going to go next. Classical movements and songs and symphonies are great for that because they have elements that are repeated but in a very unpredictable way. I think that's where Bohemian Rhapsody excelled so much because it was arranged like that. It was very classically inspired in that way. And I love that. I love an artist in a band that refuses to conform. They refuse to say, okay, I'll do that because, all right, maybe I'll get more sales or I'll have more fans. Nope. I am, I'm not gonna do what you expect me to do. I am going to do what I want to do because that is it. That is my thing. Kate Bush, you wanna listen to an artist who never did something that was the norm. Listen to Kate Bush, just about anything she's done. And I think many songs on Hounds of Love are a terrific example of an artist who can take a typical song structure, but craft everything in such a way that it moves you in a very unconventional way, and it still is filled to the brim with this absolutely impeccable, immaculate expression. Stunning, stunningly good. I need to go back and listen to that, Running Up That Hill. It's one of my favorite songs ever. To this day, that song is a masterpiece. That is a great song to me. Have I gone on long enough? <laughs> Did I answer the question, what makes a song great? I don't know. I answered it for myself, but I'm sure my answer was not yours. So I would just love to know what moves you. Do you love a good riff? That bass, does it get you? Another one butts the dust. Yeah, that bass there. That's all John Deacon for you. Another great bass line. Do you guys remember the song Music by Madonna, 2000? There is a remix of that called the deepdish.com remix. And it has one of the most awesome dance bass grooves I've ever heard. Go check it out. And the best part is that song is like 10 minutes long. (laughs) This is why I love dance club mixes because they never stop. So yeah, what makes a great song? Only you know that answer. And we could pick apart music all day long. All day long. That's Liar (laughs) by Queen. (laughs) That is a very loved, memed moment from Queen. Anyway, I digress. Go check out the music that you love the great stuff, the good stuff, the stuff that never fails you. And I'll be back next time with some more goodness. In the meantime, keep yourselves alive. It's nearly the weekend. Hopefully when you listen to this, it's still nearly the weekend or it is the weekend and you have some time to enjoy. All right, guys, I'll be back again. If you want to hear me talk about more music stuff in general, please tell me, because this is kind of fun. I literally just threw all this out there while I was thinking about it, so... Good times. Good times. Great oldies. Cool. 105. That's from Denver, Colorado. When I was growing up, that was the thing. That was one of the stations. I will never forget that. All right. Enough randomness. I'll talk to you guys later.